first time I've heard Luke talk about his figure. So <laughs> I didn't know you were concerned about it. That's good. Well, welcome to what I think I can safely assume is the very first West Meadows Ugly Christmas Sunday service. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thank you for participating in that. Uh, there are various degrees of, of ugly Christmas sweaters that... Uh, that you may see in the stores or maybe even around the foyer here today. Now, this might not be a tradition you're familiar with. Perhaps you came in today and you forgot this was happening or, or you just uh, weren't aware and you came in and you thought, man, look at this place. These guys know how to dress when you came in. So, uh, you know, sometimes I find myself in that category because some of them aren't that bad, actually. <laughs> some of them are actually kind of nice. You just take, snip the bells off, they'd, they'd be quite fine. So, but if we have a look around, I saw, I saw Phil come in. He's got pinstripes on his. That's a nice touch to go along with some of the Christmas decorations. I thought Brenda was going to wear her rider's jersey, but she didn't. But she has her Feliz Navi dog on. And then, you know, Reg has got his lights going. That's good. I, got, I can one-up you with that in a second here. So I see, I see Myrtle's kind of shining in the back there. That's great. And Carol, she has a hat to go with hers. It's fantastic. A little, or elf Carol. Nice. And then uh, Luke and Kelsey kind of match with, with there too. I see another elf back there. Fantastic. This is good stuff. And um, yeah, I see a Billy Ray Cyrus out there too. Billy Ray Cyrus. Sporting the mullet. Nice. <laughs> fantastic. That's special on multiple levels. Well, <laughs> there we go. Well, what's the telltale sign? You might be wondering, what, what classifies an ugly Christmas? Whoa, there's some attention. <laughs> there's one. Let's enjoy that for a moment. <laughs> and if I continually stare this way all service, you'll know what's going on. So, so, well, I feel like I should maybe just turn my lights on then too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, let that get going. <laughs> so, there we are. Any other lights we want to turn on? We can just kind of dim the house lights and just let it go. <laughs> right on. Well, you might wonder what, what classifies as an ugly Christmas sweater. Well, typically there is, first of all, the liberal use of lots of green, lots of red, and sometimes the more toned down blue. But those lots of color of those two, especially the red and the green, will be, will be present on there. Typically comically large figures, such as snowmen, Santa Claus, elves, trees, reindeer will be on there as well. And common to add things like felt patches, uh, shiny Christmas balls to really glisten. I see some of those kind of shining back at me as I stand up here. I hadn't planned for that part of it. Sometimes you'll find tinsel that's on there. I'm not sure how you'd wash that and care for that. But you'll have tinsel hanging on it. And of course, lights. Lights have to go on that as well. So it's a little bit of fun for us to, to have and it's part of the season. Now you might be wondering like me, where did this all start from? Where did this whole ugly Christmas sweater fashion trend begin. So I had to look into it, and it turns out it actually started back in the 1950s. And in these types of sweaters, they weren't referred to that at the time, but they were first referred to as Jingle Bell sweaters. Anybody remember that name or that? It was a new title to me, but referred to as Jingle Bell sweaters back in the 1950s. But then they fell out of fashion fairly quickly. <laughs> Go figure, right? They fell out of fashion but then they re-emerged in like, like the early 80s, in the 1980s, because all of a sudden sitcom TV dads and movie dads were showing up in these, well, hideous sweaters. They're showing up again. Remember back to like Cliff Huxtable? He always had a 
a sweater like that that was on. Or perhaps you're familiar with some of the Christmas movies, like Clark W. Griswold in the Christmas movie always has the, the big sweater on. And these guys wore these large-knit sweaters that often had these obnoxious patterns and images all over them. Well, the, the TV family man uniform lost its appeal at the end of the 80s when the 90s came in, which was kind of surprising because if you remember the fashion of the 90s, it was pretty colorful too. But the sweaters didn't make the cut. And so they fell out of fashion for about a decade until 2001 when hipsters came on the scene and thought, we need to bring this back. And so the hipsters came back and started Christmas parties that had a dress code. And yeah, you guessed it. The dress code was ugly Christmas sweaters. Now, I don't know if it's true or not, but tradition holds that the very first hipster ugly Christmas sweater party in 2001 was held in the Commodore Ballroom in Vancouver. So we can actually blame Canadians for this, perhaps, to be happening. And, and uh, at the time, the only place you could find these was in your, your dad's closet or going down to Goodwill or Value Village. But nowadays, you go to pretty much any store this time of year and they have them. Even the high-end retailers are trying to turn a profit off these high-end ugly Christmas sweaters that are sold this time of year. Now, it's a lot of fun. It can add some enjoyment to our Christmas season. But like a number of things, it, it draws our attention very much to the external. If we have flashy colors, if we have lights that are going off, it draws our attention towards the external. And as we talked about last week, the spirit of Christmas, however, is, is in the heart. It's specifically in the heart of a person who knows Jesus Christ this Christmas. Now, Jesus himself talked about the importance of looking beyond the external. If you think about some of the teachings that he had, for example, he said, there's nothing outside of a person that pollutes them. It's what comes from the heart. Remember when he said that? He also said that you can look at the fruit of a person. You can look at the, the outcomes of a person's actions to reveal, again, what is in their heart. And he even condemned the religious leaders. Remember when he, when he, when he condemned the religious leaders and said, you guys are cleaning the outside of the cup. You're cleaning the outside of the dish. But the inside is left filthy. And then he said directly to them, first clean the inside of the cup on the dish, and then the outside will become clean as well. You see, people often tend to focus upon the external. For example, at Christmas, we focus upon presents and, and decor and, and feasts that we get invited to and, and even clothing. But God is much more concerned about what you look like on the inside than what you look like on the outside. And Jesus was born in order to reconcile this, to make us clean on the inside so that regardless of our fashion choices, Regardless of what you chose to wear or not wear today, regardless of that, in God's eyes, you are beautiful and you are spotless, clean on the inside. And this is a topic that Paul speaks about in, in that passage you read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, how, how it recounts God's work to reconcile us to himself in relationship with him, which was accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ. And it's a process that I think Paul was very familiar with because he had his own personal encounter with Jesus that transformed his entire life. And he writes about this in his letter to the church in Corinth where he reminds them of that transformation that's happened with inside each of them, but also he reminds them of the subsequent calling that is placed upon them because of that transformation. Because for those who know Jesus Christ in a personal way, for those who have accepted him personally into their lives, we, we, we no longer have to look at people just with the eyes of the world only who, that sees the outer. But instead, we can have the eyes of God, we can have the heart of God that sees right into a person's inner being. 
And this has the power to change not only how we see people, but also has the power to change how we relate to one another and to the people around us in the world. Because it creates within us an ability, but also a desire that others might come to know Jesus Christ as well. And when we gain that ability and we have that choice in our lives and we make that choice to see beyond the ugly Christmas sweaters, to see beyond the external, we cease to see a person, we cease to define people as the world sees them on the outside. And we can start to see people and they can start to become known by the one who lives on the inside as opposed to the outside. So let's take a few minutes this morning and look at a couple of key points from this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And and just consider what this might look like for good old Uncle Ray, who wore his ugly sweater for us today, but also for us as well. You see, the first thing we find in this passage is that the world will tend to see your ugly sweater. But God sees right through it. God sees right through it, beyond the outer aspects of your lives. And he sees into your heart. And that's where he's primarily concerned. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have to clean up the outside. That doesn't mean you don't have to clean up the outside. What it means is that I think God's aware that if we're going to clean up the outside, it starts with the inside. It starts with the heart. Now, Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7, that for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that all evil comes and everything that defiles a person. It begins in the heart. Now, it's a bit of an unpleasant thought, but, but the reality is, is that if we live our lives without Jesus Christ, or whatever point in your life you did not know, personally know Jesus in your life, we're kind of ugly on the inside. We're kind of ugly on the inside at that point, too. And I'm sure Paul was thinking about this as he was writing this letter to the church in Corinth, as he reflected upon kind of the ugliness of the inside as well on the outside of his life. Because like all of us, Paul was born into a fallen world. And and he was ruled at one time by a sinful nature. When he recounts his personal faith story, he says to to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he says, I was a blasphemer. I I was a persecutor. I was violent. I was ignorant. I was an unbeliever. He says, Timothy, as a matter of fact, I was the worst of the worst. I was the worst sinner you could ever imagine. And so at that one point in his life, he was an enemy of Christ until he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus that we read about in Acts chapter 9. And at that moment, his life was transformed. And at that point, when he accepted the truth about who Jesus was and gave his life into the service of Jesus Christ, he went from being an enemy and a persecutor of all believers of Jesus, he went from being the worst of the worst to being one person, to whom we give the greatest credit for the growth of Christianity through the empowering of God during the first century and beyond. He went from being the worst of the worst to one who was powerfully used by God, more so than probably anybody else in history. You see, when we believe and choose to start following Christ, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the living God, comes to dwell within us. And in this mysterious way, the Spirit of God intertwines with us, and we become a new person. As Paul reminds us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone because the new is here. And all of this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now, you may still be wearing an ugly sweater on the outside, 
But at that moment of accepting Christ, of placing your trust in him, accepting the forgiveness that was made available to all of us by Jesus Christ, at that moment, regardless of what we look on the outside, our hearts no longer match it. Our hearts in that moment are instantly changed. And that is one of the promises that God made centuries earlier through the prophets when he said that when the Messiah comes, there will be this new way of knowing, this new way of relating to God because the Messiah would come and he would take our hearts of stone and he would exchange them for a heart of flesh. Now, it doesn't mean we go from a point of strength of stone to weakness of flesh. It means we go from this hard, this hard, unchanging rock of a heart to a soft heart that is now pliable and teachable. And when our heart becomes pliable and teachable, then part of this new promise was that God would write his law on our hearts. And he would write them on our minds so that we would know them and we would have this desire to obey them. And this is the reality of all people who are in Christ Jesus. This is the reality of all people who reach a point where they realize that I am a sinner in need of a savior. The reality of every person who realizes that they have an ugly heart without Jesus Christ. And they realize that they've tried to clean it up on their own. But on their own, they're unable to clean that up. It always just falls short until they choose to accept the cleansing work of Jesus. Now, if you've done that, if you've made that choice, if at some point in your life you've made that decision to to place your trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ, I, I invite you to kind of look back on that journey a little bit. Have you noticed a change? Like, like, do you know, kind of, can you put language to like the before and the after Jesus part of your life? Can you identify what that difference was? You know, before Christ, it was this, after Christ, I see this difference in my life. When I talk to people and I ask them this question about the before and the after Jesus, what difference does Jesus make? If it weren't for Jesus, what is different in your life? I, I hear things like, you know, I, I just feel good in my heart. I never had the sense of goodness in my heart before. People will say, you know, I used to be so angry and just so bitter all the time. But, but bad things happen still and they get me a little riled up, but I had this overarching peace all the time. Other people will say, you know, life's not any easier. That was never the promise. But I don't feel alone anymore. Things like that. What would you say? What language would you put to the before versus the after of Jesus coming into your life? Now, for some people, this is difficult to do. Because for some people, kind of like myself, it just seems like you've always known Jesus. Like I made that profession of faith as a little guy. I was blessed enough to grow up in a Christian home that I went to church, I went to Sunday school, and, and I heard about Jesus from the time I was born. And so that as a young guy, I made that profession of faith. Now, of course, there were times of wandering, kind of coming back and forth, but Christ was always with me in my life. And, and so I, I talk to people who have this before and after story, and I think, man, that, that must be so confirming of the reality of him in their lives. And sometimes I can be a little envious and go, man, I wish I, wish I had the before and after story. It would kind of, I feel like it would maybe solidify certain parts of my life. But then I talk to them and they're envious of me. They're envious of me because they wish they had never had to go through the before part. They wish they had known God's goodness so much earlier in life that they wouldn't have to experience the before without Jesus. So here's a challenge for you. If if your heart matches your sweater, if you chose to wear an ugly sweater, if your heart matches the ugly Christmas sweater, you need to ask Jesus to clean that up. His work was complete. His offer exists. 
before you right this moment. And you can simply ask Jesus to come into your life and to clean up that heart, to free you from the guilt and the shame and from the burden of the sin that so ensnares and traps us. We have the ability to experience right in this moment a before and an after in your life. But if you've already made that choice, at some point in your story, it is worth taking the time to pause and reflect and to put language to the before versus the after. Because if Scripture's true, and we believe it is, when Jesus comes in, the new comes in. You are a new creation because the old is gone. The power of the Holy Spirit is within you. And that power of the Holy Spirit, it is here to guide you, to direct you, to convict you, and to empower you. Amen? And that is the reality that exists within everybody who has given their life to Christ. But what are we empowered towards? What are we empowered toward? It is this new heart and end unto itself? I, I think we would know the answer to that is, is no. It's not an end unto itself, as amazing as that is. Because the cross of Christ has two parts. It has this vertical part where we are reconciled unto God. But it also has a horizontal part where we need to be reconciled unto others as well. And call others to be reconciled unto God as well. And this is the next thing that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5. And we pick it up in, in verse 19 and 20. Where he says that it has been committed to us, this message of reconciliation. Because we've been reconciled to God at that moment, a message of reconciliation. Because we've had an experience, we can now speak about that experience to others. So we have a message of reconciliation. We therefore are Christ's ambassadors. As we go out and God is making his appeal through us, to the world around us. Now, perhaps you've never thought of yourself as an ambassador before, and you may not even be clear, what is an ambassador anyways? Well, an ambassador is, is a person who represents their home country while living and working in a different country. For example, as Canadians, if you were appointed to an ambassador of Kenya, you would go live in Kenya while promoting and upholding the interests and the business of Canada your home country. You're an ambassador to Kenya in that situation. So as one who has become a new creation, part of that new creation also comes with it a new citizenship. Because in that moment, we become citizens of heaven. And so as citizens of heaven, we have responsibilities. And one of those responsibilities is to represent the interests of our home country and to represent the interests of its leader, Jesus Christ. And the country to which you have been appointed is not Canada. The country to which you've been appointed is more specifically your neighborhoods, your workplaces, your homes, your friends, your families. Even this church foyer is an area to which you have been appointed as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, representing the business in the interest of your home country, which is in heaven. This is a question that, that the next team has been working through before, um, back before the Christmas season, as we went through this area referred to as as local predicament, trying to work through the vision for the future of West Meadows. And we considered what is the region, what is the country, if you will, to which we have been called to be ambassadors as a collective whole, as a church. And as we shared at some of our previous meetings and discussed with you, is that there seems to be a leading from God that, that we have been placed and prepared in this area for, for the people of Lewis Estates and for Secord and for Rosenthal is an area to which we have been called to be ambassadors of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
But this message that's been given to us is that Jesus can help you take off your sweater is the message. Jesus can give you a fresh start. Here's the thing. Without that message, without us going forth and proclaiming that message, some people don't even know they have bad fashion sense. Some people are even aware they have an ugly sweater that needs to be taken off. I'm not talking here about wearing socks with sandals and shorts. That's a whole nother service, right? But metaphorically speaking, people don't always know that there's a way to take off these sweaters of their hearts. People don't even know that there's a way to take that sweater off. But worst yet, some people don't even know they're wearing an ugly sweater because they've never been told there's a better way. They've never been told there's a God who, who has love and plans for their life. And without that message, they don't even know they're wearing an ugly sweater. Now, it reminds me of a few years back when I had the, the privilege, absolute privilege, to work with a, a young man who, um, who had come across our path, myself and a few other pastors. In summary, his story was a tragic one. He was a young guy who was in a home of abuse and got kicked out at a young age. And he ended up living on the streets. And as a young guy living on the streets, it doesn't take long before he's caught up in gang life. Gets caught up in a drug scene. Selling, using, addicted. And then it, it moved its way and he happened to get caught up with a couple of guys that were white supremacists. This was here, here in Edmonton. And it didn't take too long until eventually he was arrested and he was put in jail. Now while he was in jail, a couple things happened to him. One thing that happened to him was he heard the good news of Jesus Christ. He heard for the first time that God loved him. And he heard that God had a plan for his life. And so when he got out of jail and we crossed paths, he wanted to continue to know more and to learn more about that. And I had the privilege to walk with him for a while and to help him to give his life to Jesus. And then he wanted to get baptized. But one other thing happened to him while he was in prison. While he was in prison and got caught up with these white supremacists, he got a giant swastika tattoo on his chest. Talk about an ugly sweater that he no longer wanted. But it was there and it was stuck. And he was, as much as he wanted to get baptized, he was really nervous about it. Because what if it shows? What if, what if people can see it? He didn't want people to see it. But he, he agreed to do it. And so another pastor was in the tank leading him and telling his story. And he, he told a powerful testimony. Talk about a before and after story in a person's life. This man had a powerful story of the difference that God can make when he comes into a heart and gives a new heart, does that heart transplant into somebody. And then before he was baptized, the pastor said, is there anybody in this auditorium, is there anybody here who has ever been addicted to something? Stand up. Is there anybody here who has ever committed a crime? Stand up. Is there anybody here who has ever been homeless and on the street, stand up. Is there anybody here who's ever been arrested, stand up. And as dozens of people throughout the auditorium stood up, that young man went under the waters of baptism with all of those people symbolizing that they too at one time owned ugly sweaters. But they too had been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And when that man came back up symbolizing in that baptism that while he still bore that ugly sweater on the outside, inside he was made new. And it no longer matched. Because his heart had been healed by Jesus Christ. You see, the truth is this. 
is that all of us at one time or another in our lives have been identified with the ugliness of our sins. Now, I don't know what that might look like for you, but, but what do these sweaters represent for you in your life? What is that sin that, that might have had you in the past or might even have you currently today still? What does that sweater represent? What is that sin in your life that it represents? But if you're still wearing it, you don't need to. Because Jesus died to make a way so that you could take it off. So that you no longer have to be known by the ugliness of your sin. You can take that off and you can lay it at the foot of the cross and bear it no more. And you can be clean and you can be new because of the work of Jesus Christ. And if you've already taken that sweater off at some point in the past, and if you've already placed it at the foot of the cross, I encourage you to never forget what it looked like. Never forget what that looked like. Because the reminder of what it looked like, a reminder of what you have been freed from, I pray will create a passion within you that when you see other people who are still wearing theirs, you want to lead them to the one who can help them take it off. Who can help them find their freedom from the ugliness of their sin. That they too may be free. And they too may be cleansed. Now, probably many of us don't here have a literal Uncle Ray in our lives. But we probably have somebody in our family who wears ugly sweaters. We might have somebody in our family who, who tells bad jokes, who always wants to borrow a few bucks along the way. Perhaps it's somebody in your life that you're not looking forward to seeing at Christmas here. Because there is this tension, this relational tension that exists too. You know, somebody like, uh, maybe somebody you work with, and the type of person where, where they phone in sick, you're, you're kind of happy that, that they phone in sick that day. Perhaps it's a family member. Somebody you're not looking forward to seeing. Well, you see, this message of reconciliation is not just about us being reconciled to God. It's not just about us being ambassadors to bring people to know God, that God is reconciling people through Christ, through us. But there's also this third aspect of reconciliation amongst one another. That's the second part of the message that we've been given. And it applies to these moments of life when, when people will fail us. And if we're honest, when we will fail other people as well. It applies to these moments of life when people have hurt us or, or when we have hurt other people. And we wrestle to forgive them. You know, folks, I've got them in my life too. There are people in my life I struggle to forgive as well. So we're all in this together. This is a message that all of us equally share in. And I understand how tough this, this last message can be. But I also stand, understand how important it can be. Because if we leave these relationships unreconciled, what tends to end up happening is, is it leads to this tension it leads to like this, this weight, to this anchor that holds us back from realizing the life that God wants us to live. I'm sure all of us can think back to a time we've experienced that, that tension. We've experienced that anchor that keeps us from experiencing the fullness of God's life that he has planned for us. And it's because of unresolved tensions within either the family of God or even within families or with friend workers or friends or coworkers. And, and so I just want to briefly share with you some steps towards reconciliation with other people. And, and a bit of a pattern I want to give you to follow to do that follows actually the pattern of reconciliation between us and God. And we can find the same principles and apply them in our own lives. And I hope we'll be able to find our point where we can live out the words, forgive as you have been forgiven. 
as we seek reconciliation with one another, perhaps this Christmas season. First of all, this path of reconciliation with one another starts by acknowledging that sin is at the root of the issue. Sin is at the root of the issue. See, just as, as our sin once separated us from God, so too sin can come between two people. And if reconciliation needs to happen between you and another person, there's a good chance that sin exists somewhere in the middle, somewhere in the divide between the two. It may be the other person's sin. It may be yours. It's probably both. If we're honest, it's probably both have things to own up to. But sin destroys relationships. You see, sin breeds mistrust and jealousy and, and hatred and greed and selfishness and these things that are not conducive to healthy relationships. So reconciliation begins by us looking into our own hearts. It begins by looking into our own hearts and admitting our own sin. We're so good at pointing at other people's. We're very good at that part. But reconciliation begins by looking at our own, into our own hearts and owning our own and confessing it to God and confessing it to one another. You know, in 1 John 1, it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But then James also tells us that, that we need to confess our sins to one another. And we need to pray for one another that we may be healed. And I think that healing extends to our relationships as well. So the first step is to acknowledge that, that it, and it's not about being 50-50 kind of thing. It's just about acknowledging what is my part. What is my part in the tension that exists? And owning that for ourselves and acknowledging and calling that what it is as a sin. Then the second step is to consider who's going to make the first move. You know, often we want the other person to make the first move. We want that person to come to us, and so we wait for that person to come to us to, to ask our forgiveness. And I've been through so many counseling sessions over the years where one person wants somebody to come to them and seek forgiveness, and this person wants this person to come forgiveness, and they both feel like a victim, and so we end up with a stalemate. And nobody wants to change, and we just sit in awkward tension. And nothing ever goes anywhere. Well, consider again our relationship with God. In that relationship, I think we'd all agree that clearly God was the offended party in that relationship, that we had sinned against God. So he is the offended party. But also consider that he didn't wait for us to come to him. That he came first to us in Jesus Christ. See, God made the first move. Romans, it says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ came. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if we desire reconciliation, there's a very good chance that we need to be the ones to make the first move. Now, it's not going to be easy. That will not be easy. You will not feel like you want to. It will require humility, and it will require courage. But I can tell you this, if you're willing to make the first move and to walk to the other person in humility and openly confess your part of the problem, I can tell you that you will be walking in the footsteps of God who made the first move to reconcile us to him. So what's next after that? Well, after we go to the other person in humility, there's a good chance it's going to cost you more than just your pride. You see, not only did God make the first move, but God was also willing to pay the price of reconciliation for us. And the cost of our ability to live at peace with God, the cost of our reconciliation, was the sacrifice of his one and only son. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his one only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. That verse speaks volumes to the level of commitment and to the deep desire God had to be reconciled in relationship with us. That he was willing to give his one and only son that we could be in in reconciled relationship with him. Now each situation in your life is unique. I don't know what it would take. I don't know what that sacrifice looks like. But the question is, are you willing to make the necessary sacrifices? It might include admitting you were wrong. It might include confessing that you were wrong. And asking forgiveness of another person. If maybe a more serious thing happened that maybe even involved material possessions, it may require some sort of restitution to be paid. But see, there is a cost to reconciliation. There is a cost to it. And it costs more than just pride. And it boils down to a question of what do we value higher? Do we value a reconciled relationship higher? Or do we value the thing that it's going to cost higher? Whichever one carries the most value in our lives will win the day. And if we value a reconciled relationship higher, we'll be willing to sacrifice that thing that will cost for us to find that peace. And then finally, finally one thing to keep in mind is that you are not responsible for the other person's response. You're not responsible for that. You know, God did all the work. God made the first move. God made the sacrifice. And he did it fully aware that some people would not respond. Billions of people have responded, but even billions more have not. Have not accepted that gift that Christ offers. And God knew this. God knew that this would be the response. And yet he was still willing to go to the very end and to pay the price. Simply so that everybody would have the opportunity to receive if they chose to do so. Fully aware that billions would say no. He valued their opportunity to say yes high enough to make the sacrifice. So our motivation to enter into a moment of reconciliation should not be a positive response. Should that be our desire? Absolutely, it should be our desire. But it should not be our motivation. But if we're honest, if, if you knew that if you humbly went to somebody, that you made the first move, that you made the sacrifice, and they were going to refuse your attempt, would you still try? If you knew that it wasn't going to lead to reconciliation, would you still try? I think if we're honest, a lot of us would say, no, why would I go through all that if there's no payoff at the end? Why would I do that if there's no payoff at the end? Well, I would suggest to you it's worth doing because God did. Because he's the one who set the example for us. And he calls us to walk in his footsteps, in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, who paved the way for all of this to be possible. But remember, you're not responsible for their response. We are responsible to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We are responsible to be ambassadors who create the opportunities for reconciliation to be possible, for that choice to exist. And there's no guarantee you'll be able to live at peace with people at the end of it. But I believe if we try to walk according to the Lord's ways, we will be able to live at peace with ourselves and with him. So, Uncle Ray and his ugly sweater obviously are fictitious. But they're also metaphors for us. They're metaphors for these different aspects of reconciliation that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. About being reconciled to God, where we need to be reconciled and have our hearts cleaned up. 
they're metaphors about how we have a calling as ambassadors to go out and call other people so that they can experience the reconciliation of God in their lives. They can experience that freedom. They can have that heart transplant. They can take the ugliness of their sin off. But it's also a call for us to be reconciled to one another in our relationships too. So as I close, I want to leave you with this thought. When we often describe another person, if you're asked to describe somebody, we tend to do it by, by talking about the, the outward aspects of who a person is. We talk about what a person looks like, about their profession, about their social status. We, and we might say something like, oh, it's, it's that lovely middle-aged lady who's a nurse at the hospital type thing. Or we'll talk about somebody in terms of, of who they're married to, of their kids or of their parents. When Nadine and I were first married, we attended the same church as my parents, and people would go, oh, you're Alan Marlene's kids. We didn't have an identity of our own. That's how we were referred to. Or perhaps we refer to people by their accomplishments or by what they own. Like, for example, you know, he's that young, he's that young youth pastor that drives the BMW, right? <laughs> now, these things are not necessarily sinful. They can be. They can be. But they're not necessarily sinful. But, but here's the thing. Compared to the life that is made available to all of us who know Jesus Christ, they're nothing more than ugly sweaters. None of those things are anything more than ugly sweaters. What I mean by that is they're nothing more than secondary things of the world that pale in comparison to what God has in store for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's nothing more valuable than what he has in store for us if we are living our lives in agreement, in alignment with him. And all of us can find this freedom. Every single person who walks this earth has the opportunity to have that removal of sin from their lives. And along with it, the sorrow, the shame, and the guilt that goes with it. Because when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, when we experience that transformation that he brings to our hearts, when we start to live our lives with him and for him and experience that life, part of that transformation is that we no longer have the eyes that look at people with worldly eyes that only see the outer, but rather we have the eyes of God and we have a heart of God available to us that we can see the inner being. And this should be such a radical change in a person on how they view people and also how they relate to one another and to the world around us. Because if we have the ability and we have the choice to see beyond the ugly sweaters, then a person ceases to be defined by what the world sees on the outside and they can start to become known by the one who lives on the inside. If you do not know Christ in that fashion today, there will be people at the front here who want to pray with you following the service. Come find myself. Come find Pastor Luke. We want to pray with you and help you to talk about and understand what it looks like to take off that sweater on your heart. That it can be cleansed and you can be reconciled to God this very day. That you can start your before and your after story. If you are here and you already know Christ. And I want you to remember today that we are called as ambassadors to go forth into this world. Especially during this Christmas season. To go forth with a message of reconciliation. That every person you cross as you walk down the mall, as you drive by them in your car, as you sit beside them in your office, all of those people are loved by God and need to know him. And he's given to us the mission of reconciliation and his message of truth. As the worship team comes, would you please rise for our closing prayer?
Heavenly Father, as we stand in this place, partway through, it's hard to believe, but partway through this season of Advent, Lord, this Advent season, which is about anticipation. Lord, some of us have already, have already come to know you, but God, I anticipate those who will come to know you this season. God, those who will find freedom in Christ, those, those who will finally be released from the ugliness of their hearts that are just filled with sin that has never been cleansed. It's not necessarily because they're bad people, Lord. It's just that they're people who aren't with you. God, may people come to make that choice this Christmas season. May we be ambassadors. May we be part of that story in their lives. That when they tell the before and the after that, that we are part of ambassadors of reconciliation that they can point to and we can give glory to you for that, Father. That you've worked through us and in us and empowered us for that purpose. Oh, Lord, thank you that you loved us enough that you paid the price, that you paved the way for us to be in relationship with you. May each day we treasure and value that reality and long to have others join in that truth for their lives as well. We pray this in Jesus' name.